is an accident. In your Red Pew Bibles, or Being you a man is something you learn to be and commit to. Um, I'm going to be reading uh, John man. chapter 12, verse 1 through 11. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. May God add a blessing to the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Thank you, James. Good job. He read some scripture in our Bible study on Wednesday night, and he read it very well. And I said, James, what you doing Sunday morning? Well, he comes in, and he's been coming really regular to church, and I enjoyed getting to know him. And then I heard him read scripture, and he did it again. This is great. So, here's the question. You go to the doctor's office, and they tell you, he or she says, I need to see you uh, before regular hours. Any of you that know me know that that's not the appointment you want to have. When your doctor says that they want to see you before they open for the regular business, they don't do that to tell you that you're all healed and everything's good sits you down in his office there and says to you, you have one week to live. One week to live. Go home. Put your things in order. I saw the movie, Tuesday morning with Maury, read the book. It's an incredible story. It's about a former student uh, of his named Mitch that uh, kind of uh, had been out of school for a while, and, and, and Maury was a sociology professor in the East, in one of the East Coast uh, elite schools, and Mitch had been a, a student of his, and on Tuesday mornings when he was a student, they used, he used to meet with his professor with Maury. Years had gone by, and he decided to kind of re-engage that relationship, so he, he did. And during that period of time, uh, Maury had uh, become terminally ill and 
had recognized that he was going to die, and, and Mitch was talking to him about that because Mitch was trying to gain some insight into the process, Maury being his wise mentor. So Mitch asked him the question, what do you want to do the last day of your life? What would be in that day? And Maury explains it. He says, well, I'd have a good rest. I'd get up and have a wonderful breakfast. And it's John Lemon that's doing that's the actor, so you can kind of see the, the expressions that might be on his face. And, and uh, then he says, then I'd go for a walk in the park. And you can just see the professor's mind uh, uh, having all those pictures in front of him. And then he said that he would dance. Oh, he said, I would dance. I would dance and dance and dance. Then I would have a wonderful, wonderful meal. And he described the meal. Then he would go to sleep. Mitch was puzzled by that. He said, but... But Maury, you didn't mention any people. You didn't mention your family. Maury said, oh. He said, of course I'd be with them. You can't have a great day without them. Jesus was hanging out with some friends in our story. It was a week before his death. He was the honored guest One of his previous encounters had continued in relationship with him. His name was Simon. He had been a leper. And so they were at his house in a little town called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And and, uh, several of his friends had come, and Simon had invited all sorts of these odd folks that Jesus hung around with. Jesus had had quite a life of healing people and touching people and going outside of the box and outside of the religious taboos and structure and outside of the synagogue and talk to people that you weren't supposed to talk to and heal people you're not supposed to pray for and spent time with people you're not supposed to be seen with. And so there was a reunion. There had been a big crowd swelling over in Jerusalem just shortly a little distance from Bethany. It was the Passover time, and probably five or ten times as many people ordinary, that, was, that would ordinarily be in Jerusalem had gathered. So there were literally tens of thousands of people. And so they were out in the little suburb having this feast. But the backstory of, the, of it is that there'd been um, a price put on Jesus' head. The Jewish system, the religious system, was threatened by one who would go around and heal people and touch people the way he did. And so there was a value placed on his head, wanted. There was another one placed on Lazarus's head. Now, Lazarus had already died, and Jesus brought him back from the grave, and now the structure wanted to kill him again. I mean, it's just fascinating. You'll note in your bulletin, there's the first fill-in. And it reminds us the story behind the story, or the backstory. Both Jesus and Lazarus were both wanted men. 
Now that passage that James read is preceded by some scripture that sets up the story. In the 11th chapter of John, the 45th verse and on, here, here's the setup. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that what had Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Come on, boys, let's get together. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come, and they'll take away both our temple and our nation. They'll rip us off. Then one of them, named Caphius, he was the high priest that year, he, he spoke up. He said, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Little did he know he was being prophetic about Jesus. He was just thinking in terms of saving his own skin. 51st verse. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life, Jesus' life. So that's the backstory. Now they're having the party. <laughs> Let me think about who was there. I was trying to think back through the Gospels and through the stories, and I thought, what an odd party. Well, Lazarus is there. We know that. And everybody wanted to touch him, poke him, see if he was uh, truly who he was, if it was just some plastic that was put on his face, or is this the guy that actually died? So they were kind of asking him, what was it like? How long were you in hospice? <laughs> What did the nurse say when you came out? Just things that you would ask a person who'd been dead. I mean, wouldn't you want to know something about somebody that had been dead? I would. So they're asking him those questions, and I can imagine there's a big stir around him. And then there's Mary, and she's sort of the, she's sort of the worshiper. She, uh, she would have loved our time of music this morning. Mary would have been into it. She probably would have grabbed a tambourine and danced in the aisles. That would have been Mary. Martha was in the kitchen fixing things, always doing that. And then there were some other odd folks there. I think Zacchaeus might have been there, the little guy up in the tree, the tax collector. You, could have, you can tell he was there. He was a short guy. So he was there. And, and then there was this woman from Samaria. She, she was there, and she brought about five other men that now she had in a discipleship group who she had been very close to in various ways. But they now knew Jesus, so they all showed up. And I can imagine everybody asking, wait a minute, what is this party? <laughs> then there's Jarius, who's the, the synagogue leader who whose 12-year-old daughter had died and Jesus had raised her just earlier in the encounter. 
And, and then one of my favorite stories is the one we talked about last week where there was that woman with the, they called it the issue of blood that had been bleeding for 12 years and uh, had no future. And Jesus healed her. Whew, what a party. Man. The Jews know how to do a party, too. I mean, they, uh, they do it for days. Uh, these things didn't last just for an hour. No one was looking at their, well, their sundial. <laughs> they were having a joyous time. And I wondered about that. And it caused me to reflect a little bit on my own ecclesiastical responsibilities as pastor and leader and as a professor and, and the leader in our denomination. And I, I thought about that, and that's the second fill-in. Could Jesus be a Wesleyan? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, Jesus was wanted, Lazarus was wanted, and there was some plotting against him. They started to move against him. There was money on their head, and so the bounty hunters were out looking. It was that week, a holy week, of Passover, and all the remembrances of God's freeing the children of Israel, and all the dynamic that that had been, been celebrated for hundreds of years and, but during this time, the, the Romans and the Jewish leaders got together and said, bring in the soldiers. We don't want an uprising here. There's a stirring in the air. There, we are told that the Messiah is coming. Don't know if it's true, but there's something unique and strange going on. We can feel it. It'd be like a full moon. You know how it is in a full moon when we uh, oftentimes think of a full moon and we think that that brings out the wolves and all of the people. When I was a policeman, we used to say it's a full moon. And I'm telling you, don't, don't ask me how or why. That night, people would be nuts. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But crazy people do crazy things when the moon is full and the wolves are howling. The Jews were concerned because their position of power and leadership was being challenged. And if this one man could take that away from them, they would lose the fringe benefits. They'd lose their money. They'd lose their power, their authority, and their alliance with the Roman government to keep the Jewish people subdued and under the thumb of the invading group. Something about power. I listened to a Nigerian scholar the other night, a friend of mine who is a colleague at the university. He's a visiting professor. He said, you know, we'll elect a Christian to be prime minister or to be a leader of our country. And they're dynamic in our church and, and they're spirit-filled and they, and they love the scriptures and, and all of that. And then when they get into power for a while, they forget. And the Power and the money brings corruption. And it's a concern we have for all of the new democracies that are rising up in the Middle East. It seems to be the case in the human condition. 
I'm sure that the former council members of the city of Bell probably or may have entered with good intentions, but they became corrupt. Corrupt by power and money. And now it appears that they may be making a license plate for me and for you. So the Jews were eating and drinking and having a wonderful time and, and, and telling stories about their encounters with Jesus. And yes, it was a bit scandalous. And then something interrupted the party. Something unique. As is true in all the encounters, or almost all the encounters with Jesus, there would be a flow, or he'd be walking somewhere, going someplace, or there'd be something going on, and then an interruption would occur. And when the interruption occurred, everybody paid attention. Something unique happens, and it did here. If you didn't get to be with us last week, you can catch that message about the woman that with the 12 years of bleeding. You can do that, and you can see the webpage there, and you can click on it and listen. <laughs> now, the woman wasn't bleeding anymore. She's at the party, and she's dancing. <laughs> she's having a wonderful time. And then this woman in the midst of it, We know her as Mary. She came to Jesus, and a strange hush came over the crowd. What was she doing? Is she crazy? It wasn't logical. It wasn't rational. It doesn't fit into the logical plan of things. She is out of sync here. She's doing something that is not done. She took a jar filled with very expensive perfume. She breaks it open. She pours it on Jesus' feet and on his head. And with her hair, she wipes it into his feet. She doesn't do a drop or two, as might be appropriate for an honored guest, which would be the custom. She did the whole bottle, and she broke it so that none of it could be contained in the bottle anymore. Whatever she had had to be expended at that moment. And she did it emotionally, with a spontaneity. She didn't count the cost. It was just a crazy thing to do at a crazy moment. And yet, she felt it. Everybody smelled it. It was a beautiful fragrance. Folks, this was not toilet water. Some of you of a generation ago, my generation, you will appreciate the word toilet water. Young people, it does not mean the stuff in the toilet. It's the cheap perfume. The real, and you can get a big bottle of toilet water cheap. Maybe at the 99 cent store. But that real little bottle at Nordstrom's, the one about that big, that costs 20, 30, 40, 50 times more than the big bottle. That's the real stuff. And she took the real stuff and poured out maybe 6 to 12 ounces of this out of a boss and put it on his feet. You know, uh, when a person had that kind of uh, money and that kind of uh, nard, it would be similar to uh, the, the position of wealth. It would be like a, 
a 12, like a five carat diamond ring. It would be showing that you have position and you have, uh, you have money. You're a person of significance. They had that kind of wealth, apparently, but she spent it all that day. What was wrong with this girl? How do you calculate that cost? Little girl named Tracy. She was listening very closely to the preacher one Sunday morning, not unlike this morning. And uh, she left the service puzzled. And she said, Mommy, didn't our pastor say today that God is bigger than we are? Her mother was pleased to see that her daughter had been listening and said, Yes, honey. Tracy then proceeded on her second question, and it was, And didn't our pastor say today that God lives inside us? Her mother, since the big question was coming, and says, yes, honey. So Tracy then put her points together and said, well, if God is bigger than us, and if God is living in us, then shouldn't God be popping out all over us so that others could see him popping out? Hmm. Mary was popping out all over. You couldn't contain her. In those verses that James read, a couple of them out of the message, the fourth through the sixth verse says this, and in then Judas Iscariot, just one in the party, all the disciples were there, but the one, one of them says this, even then getting ready to betray him, he said, why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? It would have easily bought 300 silver pieces. We could have fed so many. He said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, the message translation says, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds, and he was also embezzling funds out of the treasury, Jesus' money. Greed it was. Gordon Greco in the movie called Wall Street said greed is good. Sorry, that Gordon, you're wrong. It's poisoning. And Judas attempted to elevate himself with his logic and his reasoning, and yet he denied Jesus his place. And then Jesus, recognizing what had happened, said, if you read that, that seventh verse, he said, let her alone or, 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 or leave her alone. I, I can imagine how he did that. It's quiet. Everybody had noticed there's a freeze over that whole party, and Jesus speaks the first words after Judas. And Jesus says, let her alone. Authority. Okay, okay, okay. And then he said, she's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. She doesn't know it, but she just anointed me for my burial, which will happen here in a few days. Wow. Wherever the gospel is told... Mark chapter 14, verse 9 says, the story will be told of this woman. Truly, I tell you in Mark 14, 9, that when, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating? 2,000 years later, we're talking about it. Talk about a woman broke up in this base and anointed Jesus. The scripture is absolutely correct. We are talking about it. We are remembering. Isn't that amazing? A year's salary. 
poured onto him, popping out all over her, not to be contained. Third fill-in. When was the last time you had a God encounter in your belly? I like the word belly. You know, we can have a head encounter, right? Okay, logically, I realize I can study the scripture. I can say, yes, yes, logically, I recognize. But what about here? You know, we, we're reasonably sophisticated these days. And because we're educated and sophisticated and we have means of communication and we can learn things, and on the Internet right now you can access the world, we have become maybe a little bit too educated. When is the last time that your belly had a strange warming like John Wesley did? When was that? When was the last time that God just popped out all over you and could not be contained? When was the last time that you did something so spontaneous that it was crazy, crazy for God? Crazy. Out of the ordinary. Radical. When was it? Oh, I know. You must have been a child because adults don't do that. Oh, yes, you do. Watch a ball game. We'll even kill each other at a ball game. We're pretty good at that, too. Watch any kind of a celebration. Sometimes we watch people that have had alcohol too much. And we say they're crazy. But we seldom see people that are released in their faith to be that risky. Embrace the abnormal, folks. Don't be normal. Jesus didn't call us to be normal. He called us to break out and pop out all over. And he caused us to be interrupted and put him ahead of all other decisions. It requires us to see others as he does. We live in a postmodern world. People don't know the story. They don't know the story of Jesus. They don't know the story of Easter or, or Christmas. And, and uh, here we're coming up for Easter, and most people think it's the bunny. Bunny, eggs, new life, spring. story is told by Dr. Gonzalez, who's still Gonzalez, who's lecturing up at APU this last week. And, and Dr. Gonzalez is a, is a historian, biblical historian. And he was telling about the parallels between the second century church and the 21st century church. In both cases, there's no memory of the Christian story. There was quite a gap in the second century. He says we're similar to that. He tells a story about down in the Bible Belt in Georgia. Now, you can't get more Bible than Georgia. Georgia folks just talk Bible. And it's the Holy Bible, probably the King James. So, a person walks into a jewelry store there, and asked to see some jewelry, and asked to see a necklace with a cross on it. And the clerk said, oh, sure, we have them. Do you want one with the little man on it or the one without the little man? Didn't even know who is on that cross. That's the world we live in. And Jesus has asked us to tell that story. 
That's this week coming up. A week from, a week from today, we will start that week. A lot of people don't know who that little man is or what he did for you and for me. Just 50 years ago, in my memory on a Sunday, in an American neighborhood, Southgate, where I was raised on Sunday morning, everybody went to church just a half century ago. And you didn't mow your lawn on Sunday morning. You may have thought about it, but you didn't. You didn't go out to play tennis on Sunday morning. You went to church. My dad would even go out on Saturday night to fill the car with gas in case he would run out. He didn't want to buy it on Sunday in case he needed it, and even in case he could find a gas station that was open. Just 50 years ago. Times have changed. We live in a postmodern world. We live in a time where there's no memory. But this story helps us and reminds us. And in the fourth filling, it says this. Two women were having an encounter with Jesus. Just like you and me today, an encounter. In one case, one woman received from Jesus. That's the woman with the 12 years of bleeding. She received from Jesus. He touched her and healed her. In another case, a woman gave to Jesus. That's Mary giving the perfume. Both were a fragrance to the nostrils of God. The aroma filled the room. I want to end my time with reading you something. This is a a little book called Up With Worship. The former pastor's wife of Lake Avenue Congregation wrote this years ago. And it's a reflection on this particular passage. Listen with me, would you? And in your mind's eye, Imagine Christians file into church on Sunday morning, one by one, like separate alabaster vases. And that was the thing that this oil was, this perfume was contained in an alabaster. She said, were separate alabaster vases contained, self-sufficient, encased, Individually complete contents undisclosed. No perfume emitting at all. The vases aren't bad looking. In fact, some of them are pretty beautiful. They become vase conscious, conscious of their own vase and one another's. They're aware of the clothes, of personalities, of positions in the world, of exteriors. So before and after church, maybe during, they're apt to talk base talk. Your ring is darling. What stone is that? Did you hear if Harry got that job? What is Lisa's boy doing this summer? Is that all your own hair? (laughs) I can't imagine that being asked. I may take Tennis lessons if George wants to. Mary broke her vase. Broke it? How shocking. How controversial. Was everybody doing it? Was it a vase-breaking party? No. She just did it by herself. What happened then? 
the obvious, all the contents were forever released. She could never hug her precious nard to herself again. Many bodies filed into church, no doubt. They do so because they have Jesus inside them, yes. Life-giving Jesus. But most of them keep him shut up, contained, enclosed all their lives. And the air is full of nothing. They come to church and sit there long rows of cold, beautiful alabaster vases. Then the cold, beautiful alabaster vases get up and march out again silently, or maybe talking their cold alabaster talk to repeat the ritual week after week. Unless they get too bored and they quit. The need for Christmas and Christians everywhere nobody's exempt, is to be broken. The vase has to be smashed. Christians have to be let the life out of them to fill the room. And then she says a prayer. And she says this, Lord, break my strong will, my argumentativeness, my quick to reach decisions ahead of others and always think I'm right. My desire is to have my opinion always considered. I'm sure I'm often obnoxious. I'm sometimes embarrassing. Forgive me, Lord. Help my fervent spirit converted into just fervent in loving you. Fervent in peace. Lord, break me. Thank you for doing it. Are you on the fringe watching, observing, or are you breaking your vase open so that the fragrance fills this place. In the weeks coming, we will have an opportunity to pop out. May you pop out. May your vase be broken. May the fragrance of Jesus just fill everywhere you go and everywhere I go. Father, powerful stories told in these encounters not to be left on the page, but to come off the page and be ignited in each of our hearts. Oh, Father, may there be a strange popping out of you in each of us. May the conversation, may our activities, may our love for you, Reflect the glory of your coming to earth and dying for us and then being raised from the dead, giving some final words and soon to return. Father, I pray that not one of us here will ever be the same again. Strangely warm us in Jesus' name. Amen.